This is Sports Jam. I'm Doug Doyle. My guest is David Chadwick, former Division I basketball player at Valparaiso and Rice Universities and the founder of Real Response. It's the award-winning leading safe and secure feedback monitoring and anonymous reporting platform for athletic teams and organizations, including some in our area, including Monmouth University, Fordham, Army, and Manhattan. David, thanks for joining us on Sports Jam. Thanks, Doug. Excited to be here today. Yeah, you're joining us from Charlotte, North Carolina, and we see that wonderful picture of you behind there. Uh, for those who can't tell, you're a tall guy, about six eight, six nine in that photo. Where does that photo come from? That's back when I could jump a little bit higher, and that was at the uh, the NBA Players Association Top 100 camp um, as a junior in high school. And many of your teammates uh, throughout the years, and or people you've played against or have come become friends with are in the NBA because you played at a high level, right? Yeah, and was blessed to have some really good competition, even just in the local area in my high school years. Um, most notably, our rival high school had some guy named Stephen Curry who played there at the time, who uh, ended up becoming pretty good too. So we've had a lot of talent in our area that's uh, now playing in the NBA. That's fantastic. And also, Charlotte, North Carolina also has great history for your family as your dad, David, played for the legendary coach Dean Smith at the University of North Carolina. We'll talk about that more a little bit later in the program. He actually wrote a book about Dean. They were very close. And as you told me before we started this conversation, that he actually spoke at Dean's funeral. So the connection there is quite tight. Let's talk about last month. Real Response announced the addition of the new college and universities to its fast-growing list reaching the 100 partner milestone. So more than 50,000 athletes now have the ability to use Real Response. David, take us back to the start of Real Response back in about 2012, how it started off as a project for you and now it has grown into this very necessary platform. So in 2012, I was a uh, student athlete playing basketball at Rice University, absolutely loved Rice, um, was taking a class where I had to come up with an idea and wanted to come up with something that would solve the direct challenges that I and many of my friends experienced as student athletes and mainly the difficulty of having a safe place to bring forward questions, feedback, things that are going well or potential concerns to our administration and really equipping them to be, be able to see what's going well and what are the things that need to, to be addressed. Um, so that was where it began at the time. And then I left Rice and I transferred up to Valparaiso where I finished my career. Um, I had an amazing experience at Valpo. I played for Bryce Drew there. Um, the ironic part, though, was Valpo was a school that I had previously denied twice, um, citing all the reasons I didn't want to go. Weather, facilities, conference, uniform colors, the things as a naive 17-year-old, I tried to check off my list because I thought I knew it was going to make me happy. But what I learned there is the student-athlete experience has little to do with the externals and everything to do with the intangibles. It's the people, it's the culture, it's the relationship. So when I was getting my MBA at Valpo um, with the focus on entrepreneurship, I had to come up with another idea. I don't have many ideas, so I recycled the old one that I had previously. Um, and during that class, I began to really take a deeper dive. And I met with Mark LaBarbera, who's the athletic director at the time and still at Valpo, presented this with him. And he, he was the first one to really encourage me of, hey, ADs could really use a better way to gather feedback from their student athletes. So 
I began to cold call and cold email athletic directors asking for an interview. Um, there's 320 plus division one ADs. I actually interviewed over 200 of them um, over that time span. And what I asked them is how do you currently get feedback from your student athletes? Um, what are the challenges you have in that process? And really began to learn again, A, how things are done, but B, continual themes and issues that people were having through that process. So took all that feedback and went and built at the time Real Recruit, um, Real Recruit version 1.0 and went back to some of the people that I had really positive conversations with and said, hey, you remember me from when I interviewed you several months ago? I'd love to show you what this was. This has become and was really blessed to have some ADs that, that took a chance on us and brought, brought us in and ultimately were our, our very first partners. How exciting to have a project like that, you know, become your passion and become, you know, the work that you do now and has involved so many universities that has to be so satisfying. We've heard a lot about mental health. We've heard about it during the Olympics when it comes to, to athletes. And we've heard about a lot about mental health within sports, whether it be college or pros, mental health, social injustice concerns, COVID-19 policy infractions misconduct, hazing, sexual harassment. Your platform covers all those issues, right? We do. We do. Um, and certainly there's areas of concern like the ones that you're addressing. And people also, also use our platform to bring attention to positives or just provide feedback on how things are going. Um, but obviously the concerns are, are sometimes the more severe and timely ones that need to be addressed. Just the reality is athletes face a very pressured environment um, to perform. And there's so many different pieces that go into their performance and ultimately their success. And to your point, those different influencers that can affect their day-to-day -day become really important in having an outlet to be able to seek help and, and resources in a really confidential way is what we're trying to provide to the athletes. David, what we've seen is some of the top athletes ever have struggled with things like mental health and confidence. If real response was available to you at, at the level it is now when you were playing, what have you learned? How would it have helped you? What I'm seeing is for the first time, athletes really being vulnerable and, and talking about their own mental health struggles. Um, Michael Phelps is one of the leaders right now in the sports world talking about his own mental health challenges. And obviously it's getting a lot of attention with the Olympics going on. Um, personally, I always uh, have an affinity towards swimming because my brother has been on the USA national team for swimming too. Um, so I, I have a huge appreciation for those swimmers and everything they go through. But I think for the first time, athletes are really talking about their own mental health challenges and bringing attention to it. And what real response has allowed people to do is to anonymously begin the conversation. Um, because in many examples, I might not be willing to pick up the phone and call someone or to walk into an office and immediately have my name associated with this issue that I'm dealing with. And we're fighting this and Michael and Simone and so many others are creating change around this, but there's still a perceived stigma of uh, I'm an athlete, I shouldn't have to deal with mental illness. Um, but what our system allows people to do is confidentially begin the conversation, right? And say, you know, I'm struggling. Who can I talk to? What's available? What resources can I utilize? Um, and then begin that conversation and ultimately might lead to the in-person piece as well. But oftentimes it just takes getting a little bit of traction before someone being willing to immediately uh, have that conversation happen. So explain to us how the platform works. Uh, I'm an athlete. I, I have an issue, whether it be COVID-19 policy infractions, misconduct, or I just don't like the way things are going. Sure. How do I how do I take advantage of real response? Yeah. So they can utilize real response to anonymously share information with the organization. 
um, and the organization then receives it, they would designate who do we want to be the recipients. Um, but then the thing that makes our system really valuable is it's not just a one-way communication. So it's not just an athlete anonymously dropping something over the fence and then the organization having to run around and try to figure out how to address it when, oh, by the way, it's anonymous and it's really hard to take action. We don't know who just shared it with us. So what our system allows the, 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 the university or organization or whoever to be able to do is continue on the conversation through two-way communication um, and have back and forth. So if an athlete shared something anonymously, the organization could go back to that person ask further questions, details, clarification, invite the person to come in and meet to discuss it further, point them to resources. So in a university, it might be, here's how you go to our Title IX coordinator because this is a Title IX concern. Here's how you go to our Dean of Students because this is a student conduct concern. Here's how you go to our mental health specialist because this is a mental health concern, or this is how you go to our trainer because it's an athletic training issue. Um, and then allow that, that, that response piece to really have a back and forth of getting the, the, the athlete the resources that he or she needs to, to take next steps. And then, oh, by the way, allowing the organization to document how they're handling these matters, that if it ever does become something scrutinized down the road, they have all their records in, in one spot. We're speaking with David Chadwick here on Sports Jam. He is the founder of Real Response. It's a platform where athletes can anonymously talk about issues. And I wanted to talk about why this wasn't in place before, why you had to come up with this. You know, sometimes I feel that people think athletes, when they hear about them in college, get special privileges, that they are superhuman, you know, don't have feelings. They just go out and perform and every day they're expected to be at top level, not thinking about classrooms, relationships, like you've said before, mental health. We're really opening up a new chapter in college, even when it comes to being able to use their likeness and image. Why is it taking so long, David, for this to come into place? I don't think it's necessarily taken a long time. I would argue that the acceleration of, to your point, everything that's changing in the college or even just in general, the sports industry has um, opened up a significant need for something like what Real Response provides. Um, social media in the last decade has changed things where we've been able to connect as people unlike ever before. Um, from an athlete's perspective, they now have a connection to not only the fans that adore them, but also the people that um, want to discourage and, and speak hurtful words. So I think on that side, there's been a new pressure with athletes' mental health and how they're connecting the fans in that area. Um, I think the pressures facing today's kids are greater now than perhaps ever. So COVID, you know, COVID is interesting. I, I don't know if I've ever in our company history um, seen a time than right now where these organizations have expressed a greater disconnect from their athletes than right now. Um, you know, a lot of people used to rely on the on the interpersonal relationship. So I get feedback just because. Doug and I are buddies and he's going to pop in my office and tell me anything. But, oh, by the way, now we're in a pandemic and people can't be together. So we're separating them. And if some examples were quarantining them and they literally can't be together. But again, the pressures we're facing with COVID and mental health and social justice after George Floyd's tragic death last year, but really created a new conversation of soliciting change. Um, and then abuse and misconduct and bullying and hazing. I think that these things have been around for years. But as they are beginning to come out through people, again, utilizing their voice and now speaking to them, it's accelerating kind of a snowball effect of others um, pulling on their own experiences. And that now organizations needing something to hold each other accountable and to address these things that are going on. And then now us fitting, filling that void. So I think these things have been going on for years, but the last decade especially has accelerated them as technology and, and people are beginning to, to utilize their voice to talk about their own experiences. 
That's a great answer. Being that it's anonymous, is have you been able to, once maybe some things have been resolved, have people come back to you and said, David, I started off with a real response and now my issues have been addressed. Can you tell us about some of those success stories? Or is it yeah. just because it's anonymous, you can't get them? No, we have plenty of examples where you know, someone anonymously reaches out to the organization. And again, just to be clear, we're not in the weeds on this. We're not the one that the athlete reaches out to. And then us obviously respond back. It's the organization that's doing that. We just provide the service, but there's so many examples where an athlete anonymously uses our system to reach out to someone. Um, the organization begins the conversation, talks back and forth, points them to resources. And then it's not unusual for the athlete to basically say, Hi, my name is David Chadwick. Thanks for really showing me that you care. I'd like to meet with you to discuss this, to discuss this further. And I think that response piece, the ability to show who you are when you're responding back and offer to meet and demonstrate that you do care, I think helps create that trust from an athlete's perspective of, um, again, being willing to, to be transparent with what's going on. But I mean, we've We've had examples where, and if you go to our website, we released a blog post, I believe last month that summarized the most common themes that we saw through our, come up through our system. COVID was number one, which wasn't surprising, um, but verbal and emotional abuse was number two. So there's been a lot of examples of that in the few, last few months and in, in media outlets that have covered it where players have finally come out and talked about the toxic culture that they had to play in. Um, issues that happen away from campus. So we had an example where a coach was texting while driving and almost got in a wreck. Um, athletic training issues is a common one, injuries not being handled appropriately. We talked about mental health, um, uh, incident violations. I mean, as you can imagine, today's world of extra cash being paid to recruit is something that we've seen before, too. So, again, so many different types of things that we've, what we've seen come through. But one of the most, I think, um, uh, personal ones is we had an example where a student athlete used our system to alert their, their administration that one of their teammates was using suicidal language. Um, and the administration was able to, and this was brought to me firsthand by the athletic director there, um, connect with that athlete, immediately cover them in resources and people. And we never know, right? But his comment to me was, we might have otherwise prevented a crisis if we wouldn't have had your system and been alerted to this early on. So I'm rambling a little bit, but there's just many, many different examples of how our system has been utilized to bring these types of things forward and equip the organization to, to be responsive. Yeah, now that you have more than 100 partners and reach that milestone, you are changing lives. So congratulations with Rural Response, because obviously it's making a difference. Working with the schools and working with the administrators and the coaching staffs and things like that and making their, just making some aware of some of the issues, not only trying to solve the actual individual problem, but making them aware that maybe some other person there in the school or university has a, a similar concern. Now, the Chadwick family, certainly, as you've already mentioned, your brother is a top-notch swimmer. Your dad, as we mentioned at the top of the show, played for Dean Smith, and then played professionally in Europe playing basketball. And you had your ups and downs in your college and high school career. And basically, that was because you had the injury bug that followed you wherever you went. How frustrating was it for you who at times reached high levels of playing this game, but injuries curtailed some of your playing career. Yeah, it was extremely frustrating. Um, and at the time when it was going on, not something that I understood. 
it even goes back further than probably some of the material you've seen, but I first blew out my knee as a 13 year old um, in seventh grade and ended up doing a very similar injury to my other knee two years later. And I think um, for those that understand athletics and how once you turn off one part of your, uh, your body, it, you begin to compensate in many other different areas. I think that was probably the, uh, the snowball effect for years to come of just all the different injuries that I experienced. But, you know, it was really frustrating at the time, but um, being a person of faith, I'd like to believe that there was some type of, of of sovereign oversight into those injuries that I experienced because honestly, it truly routed me to Rice first and then Valpo second, um, and then ultimately having the class and needing to come up with an idea and then chasing after the, the real response and what it's become today. So um, certainly ups and downs, but um, I like to believe there was a bigger plan in all of it. And speaking of bigger, you've always been a big guy, so you've drawn attention at whatever level you've played at. Tell us about your most memorable moment on the court, whether it be high school, college, or national competition? Yeah, I'll give you two memories. Um, and I was not on the court for either one of these. <laughs> um, towards the end of my college career, um, I was at the point that my knees were just to the point of, of not being able to play anymore. Um, I even had three different doctors tell my coaches at Valpo that I should retire um, and I'll, I'll, I'll take a little bit of a detour on this conversation to get back to your question. But um, Bryce Drew, who I played for at the time at Valpo, is just a dear friend and one of the best coaches that I've ever played for, if not the best, but even a better person. And Bryce took me aside and took me into his office after we got those reports from those different doctors. And um, again, the medical opinion of some experts, a few of these were MBA doctors. And he said to me, all these people are encouraging you not to play. What do you want to do? And I looked him in the eye and I said, coach, I want to play one more year. And he said, all right, let's find a way to make it happen. Um, and to this day, that conversation has just stuck with me because Bryce could have just so easily said, David, you've already graduated. You've had a great career. It's time to move on and then taking my scholarship and giving it to somebody else. But, but he really did care about me more as a person than, than a basketball player, which is just amazing. And I think rooted in a, a big part of why, what I do, what I, why I do what I do today is to, to draw light to coaches like himself. But anyways, um, back to Valpo as a student athlete, as a basketball player, not getting many minutes, but trying to wrap up my knee, embrace it, <laughs> just do whatever I could to help the team. Um, my, my red shirt year, we were the number one team in the league and um, the Horizon League at the time hosted the uh, conference tournament. Um, so the number one team in the tournament, the number one team in the league got to host the conference tournament. We were in the semifinals playing Green Bay down two points um, and ultimately looking at potentially losing and having our season, even though we were number one and won the regular season, uh, becoming a disappointment. And Ryan Brokoff took a rebound. I don't know if you've seen this clip before. Brown's free throw. Oh, short. It. it is. He missed Van Dyke to Brokoff. Here we go. Five seconds left. Here comes Ryan back. Brokoff drives, cut off, tough fadeaway shot. It's good. Yeah! And we had 6,000 people all packed into the ARC, which is the Athletic Recreation Center at Valpo. And it was just unbelievable to, to, to be a part of that moment. And then we ultimately won that game and then went on to win the next game and then went to the NCAA tournament, which was great. But then two years later, as a senior, um, we were not rated highly in the preseason to be uh, one of the best teams in Horizon League. And we surprised everyone and um, had an amazing year and then ultimately went, won the championship and went to the NCAA tournament as well. 
um, and very narrowly. And I was, this is a conversation for another day where I think we should have gotten a call by the refs against Maryland when I think we got fouled, but almost beat Maryland in the NCAA tournament. Ten seconds to go. They lead by three. Valparaiso looking to get a last shot up. Keith Carter can't pass it or shoot, and the game ends without a shot. Maryland hangs on by three and survives Valpo. Your final score, 65-62. to 62. So those probably stick out to me towards the end of my career as just great memories as being a part of some really good teams with some really great people. And another key word that you mentioned there is stick because those memories have stuck with you, especially the bad call. Uh, it's still, obviously it still bothers you to this day. I was, it was right in front of me. <laughs> so you can, you can go look it up on YouTube if you'd like to form your own opinion. A lot of times we don't hear stories like the story that you, uh, you talk about with coach Drew because they're kind of off to the side, you know, and, and uh, a lot of times we only hear the, the great, you know, wins and losses. We don't hear about uh, unless they go into detail, you know, even unless the teams are successful, do we hear about some of these great stories like, like the Olympics, that some of these stories that they talk about are incredible about their families that we would never have heard from if they didn't reach such heights. So congratulations with your relationship with coach Drew. And speaking of great coaches, your dad, as we mentioned, uh, played for Dean Smith at the University of North Carolina with people like George Carl and Jim Delaney and Charlie Scott. So really good basketball there. But leadership, you told me about, you know, your dad's book is about leadership and how Dean Smith taught him so many lessons. What did he pass along to you? What has dad passed along to you with regards to his days with Coach Smith and just in general? Yeah. I mean, I know all of the uh, Coach Smith uh, <laughs> different teaching points that he put into his players, of even just on the basketball court, always pointing to the person that, that give you an assist when you score because you want to draw attention to that person versus putting attention on yourself, um, running over to help someone when they fell over so that the four other people were, were taking them off the floor. Um, you know, one thing that, that jumps out to me, and I'll, I'll link this back to the question you just asked me about my injury history. Um, when I hurt my knee in 2003 as a seventh grader, it was just traumatic. There were questions of, was I ever going to be able to walk again, let, go, let, alone, let alone play basketball? And um, I was sitting in a chair one night and the phone rang. And this was back when, you know, answering machines was <laughs> the way that you figured out who was calling you. And uh, the answering machine came on and I heard this old raspy voice and my Dean impersonation is not going to be as good as my dad's, but it said, you know, uh, David, this is Dean Smith. I'm calling to talk to your son and my dad who had planned this ahead of time. He had called coach Smith and just said, Hey, my son's really struggling. He had a bad injury. Would you be willing to call him? And I believe he went through his admin assistant. So he didn't even know if it actually got to Dean. My dad's going, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. So I, uh, I pick up the phone and, you know, being a 13 year old, I was a much different personality back then. So I was just kind of sitting there going, uh-huh. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. And good. Thank you. So I hung up and my dad's going, what did he say to you? And I said, well, dad, the first thing he said to me is how are your grades? And my dad started laughing and he goes, that's such a coach Smith <laughs> for family and players. Like, he cares about you as a person, but he also cares about your grades. And he also cares about all these other parts of your life outside of basketball. So the moment I remember just even years from then of Coach Smith's care for, for the person and the people and the family of those Carolina basketball players beyond just their, their performance on the court. 
Well, Coach Smith, uh, all of us uh, think that Dean Smith is the greatest coach ever, and, and we, we really believe that. He was a man of, of some courage because he was willing to take the lead in uh, voicing support for many controversial issues. And it occurred to us that one of the things that had not been integrated during the 60s was the white basketball team. No school coach had ever asked me to do something personally with them. Coach Smith, you know, talked to me on Saturday and, say, and he said to me, uh, do you want to go to church with me on Sunday? And I'm saying I had made official visits at other schools, but the way he looked at me was maybe a little different than the way the other coaches looked at me. The last voice in that ACC production was Charlie Scott, who played with your dad for Coach Dean Smith. Have you ever thought about coaching? I would love to coach, um, but my good friends that are coaching, especially on the college side, have helped me understand the, the time and effort that goes into uh, recruiting and scouting and travel and all that. And um, at this point in my life, I don't think it's something I want to do, especially with having two young boys. And, you know, with two young boys and, and working hard, there, there's another partner in, in the, all of that, and that happens to be your wife, Jessie. She, she's been with you for a long time now, so... You know, how does that partnership, how did that develop? Yeah, it's um, it's very cool. We've been together since high school. So we met in uh, 2008. Um, I thank Mark Zuckerberg for our introduction because I mustered up the courage to shoot her a Facebook message. Um, we already had some mutual friends that had suggested that we should meet each other, but um, I shot her a message and uh, was really intrigued by not only her beauty, but her family and her personality and her faith. Her dad also came from an athletic background. He was the uh, quarterback at Florida State under Bob Bowden in the early 90s, uh, Chip Ferguson. So lots of things that uh, were appealing to me. And it's been really cool to have her as a part of my journey um, every step of the way. So she went to my rival high school, so she was sitting in the stands and we used to go back and forth. And then she dropped me off at military school in 2010 when I went to Hargrave. Um, and then she was a part of my journey at Rice and, and, and Valpo and then now everything with the company, too. So it's been it's been really, really cool to have her as a part of that. That's very special. And uh, your kids now tell us a little bit about your kids. And, uh, you know, eventually they have to uh, not yet, but they have to eventually make some decisions about colleges. So. You have a lot to talk to them about. <laughs> Lots to talk to them about. Um, I got a three-year-old named Banner. Um, he's uh, got tons of personality and energy and keeps us all on our toes. And um, I got a one-year-old named Charlie. So two boys that are 21 months apart and beginning to learn how they can interact and be physical and wrestle and keeping all of us on our toes as a result in that angle as well. How come Banner is the only one that gets, uh, you know, they... The, the banner and behind you where's yeah because it's appropriate with it being a banner but charlie's charlie's got his other parts in the room too <laughs> okay charlie's got okay we yeah. don't want to slight change charlie now even though he's yeah. young yeah <laughs> congratulations yeah. on uh two young boys you're gonna you're gonna have so much fun because the next few years are going to be incredible when they become their own individuals they'll still need david and jesse but they're going to become their own individuals uh when my daughter was four uh, that transformation was unbelievable. And now she's 28 and a teacher in special ed and uh, helps kids uh, who have all kinds of challenges at swim school during the summer. So uh, you have lots of great things to look forward to. 
Take us into the life of David Chadwick a little bit growing up, uh, having a dad, a successful basketball player, and you knew you were going to be tall. You were tall at a, a, an early age. Your mom, Marilyn, how did she handle that for you? What kind of conversations have you had? Because I'm sure you felt pressure to be successful, or was that the case? My dad made it very clear early on um, that I, he was never going to push me to be a great basketball player. I certainly made it clear to him that basketball was my favorite sport, and that was the path I wanted to go down. But I'll never forget, he said to me, okay, if you, if you want to be great, you're going to have to make the decision one day to do the things that are necessary to make that happen and specifically to put the work in. I'm not going to force you to, to do that work. And it just flipped a switch for me one day where I decided, all right, I'm going to get up before school and I'm going to go jump rope and work on my ball handling. And then at night, I'm going to go back out and shoot. And I think not only in sports as a kid, but really anything that you're that you're taking on as an endeavor, you have to be passionate about it and, and come to your own decision that I'm going to go after it and I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to put in the hard work. Because if you're just doing it because someone else is asking you to or encouraging to, that can only last so long. Um, so I think what really worked well in our favor is my parents never pushed us to, 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 to do these types of things, but certainly supported us once we made it clear that this is what we wanted to do. And after we showed that we were going to put in the hard work necessary to get there, then, for example, my dad would say, well, you don't need a summer job because you're showing me that you're working out two, three times a day every single day and maximizing the, the time and resources that we're putting into place for you. We're speaking with David Chadwick here on Sports Jam. You had a unique recruiting journey. Tell us about it. Yeah, so out of high school, um, again, being in Charlotte, I had originally signed with Washington State University. So to get your map in front of you, I was going from North Carolina to the state of Washington and specifically Pullman. Um, I was going there to play for Tony Bennett at the time, who was the coach. Um, Tony has been for many years a close family friend of ours. My dad is a pastor here in town and um, was a chaplain for the Hornets in the 90s. Uh, Tony obviously played for the Charlotte Hornets, so we got to know him really well then. Um, Tony actually went as far as to, like come on family vacations with us. The first time he saw a beach with, with, was with my family too as a young 20-year-old, so I've known him for years. Um, and when I begun to get recruited as a pretty high-level basketball player, Tony had some friends reach out to him and say, hey, I know you, you uh, know the Chadwick's well. You should look at David. He kind of fits your mold of that fringe high major, uh, high mid major, low high major player that you can put into your system and really exceed. So um, I knew the day Tony called me that I wanted to play for him because he was just beginning to create his success. Um, but then I'll never forget that he called me May of 2009, um, weeks before my high school graduation, weeks before I was set to report to Pullman. And I could tell he was struggling with words, but he just said, hey, I just accepted a job in, at UVA. And I told him, I said, Tony, I don't blame you. That's a sleeping giant, an incredible opportunity for you. Um, so Tony left. And then I, rather than making a really quick decision, only again, weeks before I was set to report to go to a school, um, I decided to do a prep school year at Hargrave Military Academy, um, played for Kevin Keats. So Kevin's now the uh, the coach at NC, head coach at NC State. My two assistants were uh, Takeo Siddle, who's the head coach at UNCW, and A.W. Hamilton, who's the head coach at Eastern Kentucky. So had some really cool coaches there and blessed to play under some talent. Um, and then at Rice, I had a really bad injury, um, another injury. <laughs> and I'm sorry, at Hargrave, I had a really bad injury. 
Um, and ultimately UVA wasn't going to work out. That was really clear and decided to take a great opportunity that I had the time to go to Rice. So then I spent my years at Rice and then ultimately left Rice and go up to Valpo. So, um, at the end, I was recruited four different times over my career, which was a very unique uh, claim to fame. Thus, you have experienced what it's like to be a college athlete at all different levels. And it just, you know, connects really well with real response. Exactly. And really understanding, you know, what is it that creates a positive experience for an athlete and what are the ones that are just more of the uh, lipstick on the pig when you're being recruited, but aren't necessarily going to, to, to affect much of your day to day. When you put this thing together, did you think it would reach this level? I think I always had confidence in myself, but I don't think I necessarily understood at the early days what this was going to become. Um, you know, many folks know when I started the company years ago, there was always a focus on student athlete voice, student athlete experience, student athlete feedback. But I had a cool idea. I was like, well, maybe we could use some of this for marketing purposes, right? And schools could begin to publish their results and model like a TripAdvisor or a Yelp or a Glassdoor, which didn't get a lot of traction. So I don't, I don't know if I necessarily had the, uh, the, the right idea at the time, but I tell people we weren't on the right street, but we were in the right neighborhood. And, um, you know, people in business know, especially that a lot of times it's, and you can call it whatever you want, right? Luck, divine sovereignty, et cetera. Sometimes there's just being in the right place at the right time. And we were certainly in a space where um, we were providing athletes a platform to be able to utilize their voice and coupled with the, 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 the so many different types of issues that were bubbling up at various universities and organizations around athlete abuse and misconduct and bullying and go down the list. So um, certainly I think we were, we had some foresight with, with the initial ideas, but coupled with these things that have just continually to happen across the sports world has accelerated our growth. So one last question, if Dean Smith was still with us and you had the opportunity to be with coach Drew, coach Smith, your dad and yourself, you have one night to spend together. What are you doing and what will the conversation be about? Wow. Um, I mean, I, one of my, some of my favorite memories with, with coach Drew are just, um, and my dad too, are just conversations that happen with the ball and hoop and just in a gym of casually shooting together and throwing the balls back and forth. And um, I think that uh, I would, I would love to frame it around being in a gym and just being able to shoot and talk with each other. And um, I would try as hard as possible to grab a notebook, <laughs> begin to scribble. I'm a big notes person, begin to scribble down notes on just life experience and what people, I mean, one of my favorite questions to ask people is what looking back, what would you have done differently? And to learn from them on their own mistakes and 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 what they would what they would change if they could do it again, um, but especially with Coach Smith and I think Coach Drew as well, and my dad having been a leader of large organizations too, is taking pieces of leadership, and that's what my dad was trying to create with his book of taking the twelve principles that he learned around leadership from Dean Smith and making it applicable applicable to any industry, and let alone just the, just being a coach. So. I would definitely love to uh, frame it as a hoop session and 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 make it more um, scenic on that side, but really taking a deep dive into okay, you guys are great leaders and leaders of organization and people. Like, how do you do it? What are the challenges? And and what would you do differently moving forward? Fantastic answer again. So let me just turn this around again. What would you have done differently so far? In my in your professional life. life in your life, yeah. You know, one of the mistakes I think I made. Um, 
Now, again, I'm going to go back to my comment of, I think everything worked out how it was supposed to, but one of the mistakes I think I made in my high school years and um, partially probably related to my dad playing at Carolina and that milestone that I wanted to achieve, I was so focused on um, who was recruiting me and the big logo and where I wanted to go. I want to play in the ACC. I want to play at the highest level. Um, I, I think what I did at the time is discredited a lot of great opportunities that I could have had to play at very high mid-majors that had great basketball and great success, um, but maybe it just wasn't the sexy logo at the time. So I, I, what I preach to kids now is it's okay if you don't go to the power five. Like if anything, there's great experiences to have at those conferences right outside of that, especially if you're winning. Like I had someone tell me that early on and I dis discounted it a little bit. And looking back, I'm like, that was great advice. Like go to a place that's winning because you're going to be happier. Your coaches are going to be happier. The culture is going to be better. Um, so I, I think on my basketball side, that's something I'd probably go back and change is being more open to, to different types of opportunities. How can people reach Real Response? Um, go to our website. There's a contact us. Um, there's a web, there's a, there's an icon at the bottom, right? Where you can actually just begin a chat with someone from our staff. And, um, or if you're interested in scheduling a demo, you can set that up through the, through the webpage as well. And then my personal email is david.chadwick at realresponse.com. And I'm always happy to hear from folks on, on areas that I can help them too. David Chadwick, not only the founder of Real Response, but also had quite a basketball career at Valparaiso and Rice Universities. Congratulations on this amazing platform that is making a difference and continues to grow. And thanks for joining us on Sports Jam. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Sports Jam is a WBGO Studios production. You can check out all the podcasts by going to wbgo.org slash sports jam. Or find Sports Jam with Doug Doyle on the NPR list of podcasts and on iTunes. Until our next Sports Jam session, I'll see you at the game.